Hello and welcome to another podcast episode for Redeemer Church in Columbus, Mississippi. Our desire with these episodes is to provide quality content based on the material we're working through in our weekly core group meetings. We're striving to build a multi-demographic community of believers with the purpose of glorifying God through proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and resting in Christ. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Well, if you would, turn with me to Ruth. We're going to be in chapter 1 again, and we're going to be looking um, essentially at the rest of chapter 1. So we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1. We're going to look at 6 through 22. 6 through 22. Not my favorite amount of verses to be preaching all in one setting, but that's okay. We'll make it through it, and we'll do well with it. Um, You know, just before I read the Scripture or anything like that, before we look at the Scripture uh, itself, I just want to read what we just sang so that we would know rightly what our kids were being taught. Um, It's the 13th question of the New City Catechism that says, Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? And the response or the answer is that since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. Um, Now, what I want to clarify is that this is for kids. This, This question, this answer is for kids to remember. And so it's not a complete truth, right? Uh, it says no human has. But when you look at the extended version, the larger version, the larger answer per se for adults, it goes into what Christ has done, okay? Um, and so no human that's completely human uh, without the, the nature of God in there has been perfect, but Christ was. And that's what they're learning about. As they're coming off of Jessica's lesson on uh, finishing up the last of the Ten Commandments last week, they're now asking the question, has anybody done this perfectly? And the answer is no. Um, And thankfully, Christ has. And so that's um, just to kind of recap what our kids are being taught as we uh, are in here and during this moment, okay? And so let's transition into the book of Ruth. If you were here last week, which I think everyone that's in this room was, but maybe you wasn't watching online last week, we're really looking at the book of Ruth. And this really major theme that's going throughout the entire story is that Boaz, we haven't even seen him in the scripture yet, Boaz is acting as a redeemer for Elimelech's lineage by providing for and restoring Ruth the Moabites, much of what we see on the screen, right? A redeemer, that's a provider and restorer. restorer. But the, this reality, though, is a foreshadowing of Christ as the redeemer for all who would believe and trust in him by providing them salvation, restoring them to a right relationship with God. See, this is a beautiful picture of, in a beautiful narrative of the salvation story of all that have trusted in Jesus and the salvation story that we all share as we share the gospel with people in our lives. With that being said, this week though, what we're going to be looking at uh, in this entire section of scripture um, can really be summed up best by another set of scripture that we find in Proverbs 16.9. And so it's going to be on the screen if David finds it. He's awesome. I don't know if I did that in order or not. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 that says this. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. I'm going to say it one more time. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, if you happen to take notes, that's the title of the sermon. Is that really long... Uh, statement there that the heart of man plans his ways but the lord establishes his steps in naomi and ruth's lives what we're going to see in this morning this evening set of scripture is that that this is actively happening in three ways first by seeing that naomi chooses to leave moab because god provides both the moment and the movement secondly that orpha chooses to leave Naomi to go back to Moab, and Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi 
because God had a plan to redeem. And lastly, what we will see is that because of their time of arrival, meaning Naomi and Ruth's time of arrival in Bethlehem is during the time of harvest so that Ruth can meet her Redeemer. So as we look at all of that together, let's begin by looking at 6 through 22 as a whole. Let's read it together. It says this, Then she arose, I'm going to pause, talking of Naomi, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may have become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marriage? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone against me. They lifted up their voice and they wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after them, after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from the following you. For you, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die, and there will be I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town, they were stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mora. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, God, our prayer would be that as we reflect on the truth of your word, God, that it would impact our hearts and our lifestyles in such a way that would glorify you in all that we do. And God, as we listen to your word and we hear it go in, we comprehend it well, and we go out and we live it out well, but then in moments where we don't do that exactly, God, give us rest in our Redeemer, which is your Son, Jesus. We pray now that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. In your son's holy name, amen. So first and foremost, as we look at this idea that humans plan their ways, but God established their steps, what we're going to see is that Naomi goes, but God provides the moment and movement. 
that Naomi goes, but God provides the moment and movement. I'm going to pause here before we get into it and just ask this question. Have you ever found yourself doing something sinful and living in that moment for a, 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 long, a long time? A time that just was drawn out way too long. And then up one day, you find yourself defeating that sin. You find yourself warring against that sin in a way that is better than you have ever done before. Or maybe you found yourself in some form of sin, but you randomly confess it to people in your life that is necessary to confess it to to move past it. See, the reality here in the life of Naomi is no different in our life in that circumstance because something happens and we just can't quite put our finger on it. Things unfold in our life that we are actively working in and actively doing But there seems to be something in the background that is nudging and pushing and guiding us in a way that is contrary to our fleshly desires. But is certainly consistent with the heavenly change that has happened within our hearts. In Naomi's life, we see something happening like that. For way too long, she has been living in the land of Moab, trusting in not only the people and the place of Moab, but in the gods of Moab. And there's this magical moment where she decides to get up and go. And what we're going to see in this is that she does so because God provides the moment, but also the movement. Okay, So in verse 6, it begins by saying, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. See, similar to last week's text, this author is using this literary style to really get the audience sitting on the edge of their seat. They're they're using this style to get your attention. And because the attention here that's grabbing you, if this was the first time you were reading it and you knew nothing of the story of Ruth, is she has been here for over 10 years. So just one day she arises... She gets up and she goes back to Bethlehem from Moab. That would gather your attention. You would begin to ask questions. Some questions that come to my mind is why? Why would they do this? After investing their lives in this area, why would Naomi leave to go back? Even more questionable, though, is why would these two women that have married these boys or these men of this woman who have died, why would these two women leave their country to go to a land that their mother-in-law clearly did not make a priority in her own life? Why would this happen? Why would they make this choice? And that's what we're going to see in the text goes on to say, For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord has visited his people and given them food. So in this story, the beginning of it, after her husband and after her sons have died, we see see Naomi in Moab working in the fields. Um, We don't know this with certainty. But probably very similar to that of the prodigal son that goes away and finds himself working in the pig slop. She's probably doing a job that the people from Moab would not do because that's the only hope she had. And in the middle of this hope, what she then hears from whoever it may be in the field. Maybe it's work gossip, or maybe it's truth, or maybe there's just a small glimpse of hope in this moment. She hears that the Lord had provided for his people. And what that means is simply that the famine was over. So what does she do? goes on to say, So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Now, more questions are raised in my mind here. 
uh, and really in this part of Scripture. Why would they go with her? Meaning, why did Ruth and Oprah, uh, Oprah, Oprah, leave their country initially to go with Naomi? Why did she allow them to go? If she uh, knew that she would now encourage them to go back to their land, why would she let this unfold the way that it does? And though we don't know with certainty, I think it's because of two reasons. The first one is because Naomi was a weak person. Much like we read in Romans this morning, She's no different than any of us. We're all weak people because we don't do what is right. But Naomi, being a weak, sinful person that is bent towards sin, she gets this inkling to go, and she just goes. She just leaves. And she takes her daughter in, daughters-in-law with her because if she would have had the conversations that needed to happen for her daughters-in-law to either go with her or go back home, that we're going to see unfold in just a moment, she would have bent. She would have folded, and she would have stayed in the land of Moab. I believe that to be the case, not only because knowing who she is, but in the case of my own life, that in the moment of temptation, I am often weaker than I wish I was. In the moment that sin is knocking on the door, I find myself so weak to turn away from it. Until that one magical moment where this time of confession or this time of rejection occurs and there's no earthly um, explanation of what occurred. Which gets me to the second point. And the primary point here is why she did it the way she did is because God not only desired for Naomi to go back to Bethlehem, but desired for Ruth to accompany her. What we see in this is that even though Naomi suddenly desires to return to Bethlehem, and it may have been because of her hopeless situation, as we saw last week, we say that most certainly she plans her ways, but God establishes her steps. We see that in the fact that she gets up and goes, and she does it in the way that is only made possible because God had visited his people. It was only possible because God had ended the famine. So the second thing we see in this idea that humans plan their way, but God establishes their steps, is that Oprah leaves and Ruth stays because God had a plan to redeem. There's a reason why Ruth does not go back, and there's a reason why Orpah doesn't go with her as well. And it's because God is working something out in their lives and in the lives of all that would come then after them to provide not only a redeemer in Boaz, but a redeemer in David that would act as the godly king, but not only in David, but in a, a king that would never end, that is in Christ. So it's all unfolding the way it is. It's because God is working his perfect plan of salvation for all who would believe and trust in him but let's not miss the fact that these women are making their own choices so we see that Oprah leaves Ruth stays and it's because God had a plan to redeem in verse 8 there's really three narratives that are happening in this next section of our sermon here Three narratives that are happening, broken up with a bunch of weeping and crying. And if you know anything about me, just one single thing about me, you would know that if I was the one witnessing this encounter, I would be emotionally drained. Because weeping and crying and emotional conversations is not my forte. It is not the thing that I'll wake up to have in the morning times. It's not the thing that gets me excited to, to tackle the day. It's something that drains me. Something that's quite difficult for me sometimes. But let's not miss this. Because we're quick to look at the fact that Ruth stays and, they, and uh, Oprah leaves. And we're quick to look at the final encounter 
of what happens here, and we tend to ignore the emotional baggage that comes with this entire back-and-forth conversation between a mother-in-law and her two daughter-in-laws. It says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. And this plea over these next few sections, we're going to see an emotional appeal by Naomi to Ruth and Orpah. And in a little bit, we're going to see a very logical appeal. But she begins with this emotional. And she says, look, go back to your mother's house. That's a weird statement. The reason why that's a weird statement is because in our, in our society, it wouldn't be that weird of a statement. If David, um, something happened to David, most likely what would happen is Jessica would go back to her mama's house and probably find much comfort in her mother or father, right? So it's not a weird statement that she's saying, look, you've lost your husbands, now go back to your family. But what's weird is she doesn't say your father's house. See, in the Israelite culture here, it wasn't the women that was the the head of the household. So this statement in and of itself... (coughs) would have been interesting. But there's a reason I think that's behind it according to the culture and what we can understand about the Moabites. And it's this, is that most likely the mother's house is referring, the mother's house is referring either a portion in the home or a room that the mother had in the house where they would arrange marriages. And the mother, most likely, was the one that played the middle man, or middle woman per se, that would arrange marriages between the Moabites. And I think we could see some argument for this even later in the the story of Ruth and Boaz, that Naomi is the one that's weaving this whole thing together, right? So she's most likely one that was actively provided wives for her sons. And so in this moment, she encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to your mother's house and find a husband. We actually see it plain and clear. It says, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. She said, look, go to your mother's room. Go to your mother's house. Let her arrange a marriage for you. You find another husband and you find rest in him. And let it be because God has dealt graciously with you. Just as you have dealt graciously with the dead and myself. She says the dead referring to her late husband's husband and sons. And herself meaning in her despair. She's saying, look, you've treated me well. My prayer is that God would treat you well and you would go back to your family. You would find you a husband and you would live a good and long and prosperous life. And then she kissed them. This was a moment of saying goodbye. So she gives her spill. She kisses them goodbye. And you would think that it would make sense that this emotional pill would be to go find your husband, would last with them. But it doesn't. You go on, it says, And they lifted up their voice and they wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Seems like they both in this moment are saying, Naomi, we're not going back. They begin to weep. They begin to cry. Weeping is much like crying was much more emotional. And most likely it's all three women here weeping. The reason being this is that we don't know how long they knew these women. But what we do know is that Naomi had two sons that was married to these women for 10 years. We don't know how long after the death of her sons this occurred but we do know it was sometime after. So for at least 10 years, 
they most likely lived together and leaned into each other. And when she kisses her daughters-in-law by in this moment, what she was doing was saying goodbye forever. There's no cell phone. There's no FaceTime. There's no Facebook Messenger that would allow you to connect or anything like that. We're talking about two different countries. She's older in age. She would most likely never see her daughter-in-law again. So they're weeping together. They're crying together. They're emotional because it's certainly an, an emotional thing. But their emotional appeal of Naomi to her daughters-in-law to go and find a husband was not enough. They both say, we're not going. They weep and they say, we're going to return with you and to your people. So Naomi responds and she says, turn back my daughters. Listen to the change there. This isn't an abbreviation of daughters-in-law. She's resonating with them differently. She's calling them daughters. Turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? She's asking a very genuine question here. She loves and cares for these women. She's saying, look, why would you go with me? Why would you decide to do this? This makes no sense whatsoever. And the reason it doesn't is because I have yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands. She says, look, I'm not pregnant. I had two sons. You married them. They died. I have no more and I have no children within me. Why would you go with me? I have nothing to offer you. She goes on and she says, turn back again. She says, turn back my daughters. Once again, the same statement. Go your way for I am too old to have a husband. She says, look, I'm not pregnant. I'm too old to find a husband. She says, but if I should say I have hope. Meaning, if I could find a husband, if I wasn't too old to find a husband. She says, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons. She's saying, look, if I got married and we did what married people do and we bore children and they were even twins per se. Even if this occurred, would you wait till they were grown? Would you refrain from marriage? She says, look, there is no hope with me. There's no potential with me. And she nails this in by saying, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is saying this very simply. I have lost everything. And if you come with me, you're going to lose everything too. But she's not wrong. In a very logical concept of thinking through life, Naomi is 100% right here. There's nothing she said that was incorrect outside of the sovereign work of God in the life of Ruth and Boaz. And nothing in Naomi's life would give her any, any indication that God would work and do something amazing with and for her. Why? Because she's a woman whose husband chose to live in a land that was not his, that she made the same choice and then continued to make the same choice. That Naomi was a woman living in sin, really dealing directly with some form of the judgment of God on her life. And so she says, look, God has dealt bitterly with me. If you come with me, you have no hope. So the natural response is they lift up their voices again and they wept again. We don't know what was said, but we know the outcome was the same. They begin to cry because the reality is setting in that they were going to have to leave their mother-in-law and never see her again. That she was going to have to leave her daughters-in-law and never see them again. And we see that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, meaning she decides to leave her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her.
We can look at this story and we can naturally assume and think that we would be Ruth and not Orpah. But the reality is, every one of us in this room would have been Orpah. Because that was the logical and best choice for these women. Because they were about to go to a land that was their, not their land. They were going to go to a people that were not their people. They were going to go to a God that was not their God. And they would live in a life that would possibly reject them in every area possible. So Orpah does what makes sense. Now, like we looked at last week, what happens when people do what is wise in their own eyes? There is no king and it ends with hopeless despair. We don't know what happens in the life of Orpah after this moment, but what we do know is that she walks away in this moment and is never to be found again in the pages of Scripture. Ruth goes down in history. Ruth clings to her mother-in-law. The word here for clung to is similar to that of Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. It's similar to this commitment that one makes in a covenant of marriage or similar to the commitment that one makes in any kind of very serious covenant. And so what she's saying here is in clinging to her and holding to her, it's saying that she was committed to go with her and follow her. And we see that exactly being said in her words. So Oprah, Oprah leaves, Ruth stays, Naomi responds, and she says this. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after her. Return after your sister-in-law. She says it again. She doesn't give a plea. She doesn't give an emotional or logical one. This is almost a command here. Well, she's now saying go. Go with her go Ruth you should leave you should go this was that moment that have any of you watched the movie Air Bud Air Bud yes yes uh, Air Bud my kids you're way too young to remember what Air Bud's um, the first one was but in that moment in Air Bud where he, he's standing uh, at this little weird spot on the land and he, he has to tell Air Bud to leave I don't remember why he just it's just like mad spitting like he loves this dog but he's having to tell this dog to leave for some reason i don't remember why you can tell me afterwards um it was just a very emotional moment in this movie and he's like everybody leave go don't come back essentially i don't know how this dog obeyed but he also would put basketballs into hoops so who knows all right this was that moment Ruth is looking, Naomi is looking at Ruth and says, look, go with her, leave. Don't come back. Don't follow me. Don't, don't follow after me to the land that I am going. I am hopeless and I'm going to a hopeless situation. I cannot provide anything for you. Leave, go back with your sister-in-law. What does Ruth say? She says, you do not urge me to leave you and return from following you. What we're going to see about Ruth in this entire story was she was a woman of integrity and she was a woman that held to her views. And in this moment, she's standing up to her mother-in-law and she's saying, look, stop, stop telling me to leave. And this is why. Says, for, she says, for where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. She is making it abundantly clear that she is going with Naomi and there's nothing Naomi could do about it. And wherever Naomi goes in life, Ruth will be with her. Why? 
Why would Ruth decide to do this? I mean, listen to this. She says, I will go where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. You, she said, look, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go on this journey with you. And if you stop there, it sounds like she's just making sure she gets back home safely. And then she may leave and go back to Moab. But she keeps on going. She says, your people will be my people. So not only am I going back with you to Bethlehem, but I'm going to stay in Bethlehem. And I'm going to be with you, and your people are going to be my people. Okay? Well, she's committed to staying with Naomi. But the commitment goes deeper. She says, and your God, my God. I'm not worried about the God of Moab. I'm not worried about the gods that I once worshipped. Your God is now my God. So she's not only committed to make sure she gets there, she's committed to stay with there. She's committed to her people. She's committed to her God. And maybe it sounds like that when Naomi would die, then Ruth might would just go back. Naomi dies. She's safe from the burden of making sure her mother in life survives as long as possible. But then she says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Ruth is making a commitment to her mother-in-law that is essentially making a commitment to the people of Israel and to the God of Israel. And she's saying, your people are now you're my people and your God is now my God. Ruth is doing something that made absolutely no sense. Logically, this was a dumb decision. There's nothing about their life that would make Ruth think that this was a smart choice. This was a bad investment. So not only does she make this promise to Naomi, but she goes on to say, May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything by death but death parts me from you. When you tie that to the last statement, it says, And there will I be buried. She say, Look, and if I don't follow through with this, let God judge me. She's not speaking in the name of the Lord in vain. She's literally and logically saying, if I don't do this, then let your God judge me and cast his punishment on me. What we see in that small sentence is something that Ruth seemingly understood was that her, the God of Naomi was the God that brought deliverance and wrath and judgment. That what she rightly understood is that the, the God of Naomi and now the God of Ruth was the great and holy God and not the false God of Moab. So after she makes this plea with Naomi, you would think for this discourse back and forth, bickering, arguing. It says, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This phrase would actually give this indication that they just quit talking. Maybe not even in the sense of a silent treatment, but just they just quit talking. Why? Why do they quit talking? Naomi, possibly very concerned for Ruth, but also possibly very concerned for herself. But they just quit talking. They don't say another word until they get there. Why though? Why does she ask this of her mother-in-law? Why does Ruth decide to stay? And similar to Naomi making her choice choice to return home, I believe there's two reasons at play here. The first one is because for whatever reason or another, Ruth was committed to Naomi. She was a faithful daughter-in-law that could not step aside and allow her mother-in-law to just waste away. But for another reason, for whatever reason, she was committed to the Israelites and to the God of Naomi. Ruth was committed. She made her choice to go with her. But secondly, in big picture here, is because God had a plan to redeem them both through Boaz. 
Ruth was planning her step, but God was establishing her. So the third point, and hopefully much quicker point, is going to be that they arrive during harvest so Ruth could meet the Redeemer. They arrive at harvest so that Ruth could meet the Redeemer. Verse 19 begins by saying, So the two of them went until they became to Bethlehem. They traveled together for some amount of distance after this discourse, during this silent moment, until they get to their destination, which was a Bethlehem. They left Bethlehem full. They get back to Bethlehem empty. They left Bethlehem, a place known as what? The house of bread. When there was no bread, to return to a place of bread when there was bread. He goes on to say, When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? The way this translation in English does us no justice. Okay? What this is saying is in this time period, you've got to think about it. Famine had been set in. God finally provided bread for them. So there was great celebration naturally. And it was the time of the harvest. So it was a joyful time, a time of excess. But not only that, but this woman that left when the famine hit, this woman that departed, she shows back up to town. And this is Bethlehem. This isn't this, isn't this Jerusalem or this large area. This is the small town in the middle of nowhere. Everybody knew everybody. And so when they see Naomi, they begin to rejoice in full celebration of what is occurring in this moment. And they say, is, is it even possible that this is Naomi? They're joyful. They're celebrating. They're possibly throwing parties. The fact that this woman has come back to Bethlehem. It's much like Christ saying that he is the great shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one, right? There was much celebration after this. Why? Because the one was found. The one that strayed away from the pack, that went, the one that went into a land they were not supposed to be, has come back home. In this moment, that is what's happening. They're celebrating because the woman that chose to go to the land of the enemy has come back home and she did not die there. They were joyous over this moment. But think about how this would have been. Think about, do you, have you ever found yourself like just really upset or mad and you encounter somebody that's this happy-go-lucky, joyous person, and you really just want to punch them. That's how she responds. Let's look at it. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Does anybody remember what the name Naomi means? Pleasant. Anybody remember what I said Mara means? Probably not. I said it in passing. It means bitter. She shows up to this joyous encounter well, this party is going on. They're celebrating her return. And they're looking at her. They're saying, Naomi, 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 Naomi. And she's this constant reminder of joyfulness, happiness. Joyfulness, happiness, joyfulness, happiness. She looks at him and says, look, don't, 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 don't call me joyful. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Call me empty. Call me worthless. Call me nothing. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She blamed God. She's not recognizing her sinfulness in the circumstances. She's not recognizing 
what she had done wrong and her family had done wrong. She's blaming God in this moment. She continues to. She says, I went away full and the Lord had brought me back empty. If she said the Lord had brought me back empty and used this as the celebration moment that God brought her back, God delivered her from her wickedness and her sinfulness, it would be an amazing statement, a great testimony. But she's not. Because she follows that statement up by saying, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? This word testified against me is that similar to that of a courtroom setting. And it says, look, I have sinned and turned against God. I have done what was evil and God has came against me and he has testified against me. She does seem to be understanding that the calamity that she had encountered was by some, some situation or another, the judgment of God upon her life. But she's not at a point to receive it well. So she's bitter. I'm going to pause before I finish up this last verse and point out the fact that the name Mara not only means bitter, but it means empty, alone, worthless. And so after this long discourse between her and Ruth, she is now... In the presence of Ruth, telling everybody in this town, I have nothing at all. So what she is now saying is to Ruth that you're less than nothing. What I want to point out about that is the amazing thing here is that God would take something that was so perceived perceived to be worthless and make it into a salvatic moment for Naomi. It ends by saying, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. It's just really this moment where the author is giving this bookend to the chapter. He opens it up that says she gets up and she leaves. And then he ends it by saying they've made it there. And then next week we're going to look at a new setting of this story. But in this, we'll see something very significant. It says that they were arrived at the barley harvest. They were arrived back at the house of bread, finally to being a place that was a house of bread, literally. Her family departed during this time of famine, that was, and they were full of life and alive. They had all hope, all joy, all ability to succeed in life. They were going to a land of excess with her husband and her sons. But now she's returning dead and alone in a time of great abundance for God's people. What is significant about this, though? See, similarly... Similar to Naomi making her choice to return home. And the other one. I still believe there's two choices and two reasons why this is important. First and foremost, they decided to come when they came. It was this time of harvest. Ruth, Naomi decided to make this journey when they did. They land back home during the moment of harvest. But the ultimate thing that God was doing here was making it so Ruth would meet the Redeemer. Now we're going to see this more in detail next week. But this is the reality at play. And then I'll, I'll end with this. The reality at play is that Naomi staying in Boaz was a, was a hopeless situation. But when she found out there was a hope of obtaining uh, just some kind of pro provisions in the land of Bethlehem. There was full of hope there. She still couldn't own property. She still couldn't be a woman of worth. She couldn't do anything that was significant. She still was a, a widow with no sons. But the significant thing was in God's law, He provided a provision for His widows. And that provision was that they could glean the ground 
after barley season and they would pick up what was falling on the ground and they could take it home with them. And it was a way in which God, through his people, provided for the people of need in their society. God was doing something here. This is what I want us to big take away for the week. Naomi and Ruth and Orpah make their choices. They choose their direction. They go on their path. But God is certainly the one guiding their step. And there's no different for us in today's world. There's no different for us in our walk with God now. Is we make our choices. We choose things or don't choose things. We do things or don't do them. But God is a sovereign God that is working all things out to His glory and for the good of those who love Him. And so, if as Nick comes, there's one encouragement I want to end with is that life is clearly difficult. Life is hard. There's moments where natural things occur that bring us down, and then there's times that our own sinfulness and choices bring us down. But what is clear in this and clear in the life of Ruth is God is our Redeemer that provides for His children. So let us be people that are resting in the reality of our Redeemer saving us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we pray that you would be with us now as we go into a final time of worship. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to another podcast episode for Redeemer Church in Columbus, Mississippi. We hope this material has been beneficial. 